Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Editor's Note. I'm Eir Pinto, and together with me, as always, is Jonathan Hessen, TV7 Editor-in-Chief of, uh, of Israel News and everything that we do here in Jerusalem. How are you doing? Praise God. It's good to be here. How are you? I'm doing great. Wonderful. It's really good, and we have a lot to discuss. Last week was a very you know, intense week in TV7 Israel News, but let's start with uh, giving glory to God. And I would like to ask you back at home to join me in prayer that God will lead us today and will speak to each one of you. Our Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for being in control. Thank you for orchestrating and knowing, having a plan of all the stuff that we hear in the news that we don't know where they're leading to, but, but you do. You know and you have a plan. Thank you for, for leading us. We ask you to lead our prayers, to ask you to give us uh, the wisdom of how to pray for our leaders and how to pray and help one another. We pray that you will bless us here at TV7 Israel. We pray for help for our workers. We pray for the, the work and the ability to do uh, our jobs here. And I pray for this show that you will bless what we say and that you will speak uh, through us to the viewers back at home. B'Shem Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen. Well, Jonathan, uh, last week on TV7 Israel News, you reported about um, Hamas, the Islamic Jihad, and, the Palas- and uh, basically Hezbollah also, all the, you know, basically the big Palestinian or, or also Lebanese organizations that are in the area of Israel, uh, that they raised their uh, alert level against Israel because of a one-month drill that Israel is doing. It's called the Chariots of Fire. It's like a multi-sector drill. And... Um, should be should we you know con- be concerned with that? What does that mean? Raising the level of alert. Well, it's normal uh, for enemies of a state, a neighboring state, or even uh, in the distance, uh, during times of, of maneuver of, of practicing, especially when we're talking about chariots of fire. That is actually uh, the the overview maneuver or mm-hmm. drill. Uh, that uh, uh, basically trains a multi-sector, multi-dimensional, all-out war. Every component of the military is involved in one way or another, Mm -hmm. uh, other than the ones that are in operational capacity, uh, which uh, is quite substantive, considering the fact that, of course, there is also an ongoing operation, Waves Breaker, in an attempt to... um, foil uh, the uh, repetitive and, and heinous uh, crimes that are committed time and again this is against an Israeli actual, civilians. This is a surgical operation, right? That Israel, Israel is conducting inside Palestinian villages against these specific leaders or perpetrators. Right, but surgical operations are conducted on, on a number of levels. I won't go into too much details mm-hmm. for obvious reasons, but uh, let's say a specific unit uh, operates in, in um, 
urban warfare in specific uh, areas in order to locate, based on concrete intelligence, uh, locate uh, people who have been either involved um, as a indirect component or directly involved mm -hmm. uh, in uh, acts of terror. Uh, so this mole unit uh, will go and do the, the heavy lifting, if you will, because of its training. Uh, there are different types of units, whether it is, a, a, we call it Yechidat Ishtartut or Yechidat Italvut, whether it's trained on a 360 degree um, combat theory or a 180 degree as do uh, also the, the regulars, yes. um, uh, various uh, um, divisions, brigades, and mm -hmm. so on. So uh, we need to understand that it's, it's not only then operating, there is another circle around uh, to prepare if they are in need of immediate assistance, there are more troops around, yes. and then there is another circle and another circle. We need to circle. extract them if the whole and village is like uh, noticing the, the situation. Well, again, I, I won't go into details mm -hmm. uh, about operational um, methodology uh, for obvious reasons again, mm -hmm. but uh, the uh, one team, the, the um, undercover and, and overt uh, units uh, are working in harmony with a lot of components and we're talking about uh, hundreds of troops uh, to, to just prepare for a single team that is going to operate yes. uh, mm -hmm. uh, either behind enemy lines, within uh, hostile environments in general. Uh, so it is uh, quite complex. But when we're looking at those uh, operational teams, they also partake in the maneuver itself. Mm -hmm. So they, they go for operational activity, have some rest and train. They I go see. back and it's a circle. Um, sometimes operational activity is, is being built also within the context of drills mm -hmm. uh, to uh, basically um, execute specifics. But we need to understand that when you're in a, a war game, okay, this is war games basically, a month-long war game uh, to prepare the state of Israel from a military and, and defense establishment perspective for an all-out war on multiple sectors mm -hmm. on the Gaza Strip, if we can put the uh, map behind us, that would be also helpful. Um, when we're talking about... The so now you're talking basically about the chariots of fire operation? Chariots of fire okay. operation, uh, not operation, maneuver, okay? Yes. It's an exercise. Exercise for war, right? So it is an exercise for an all-out war. So it's big. It involves the Air Force, the... Air, land, sea, kinetic... Uh, um, infantry. Cyber, everything. Everything. Navy. Uh, it's, it's a multi-component, all branches of the military are involved. Intelligence uh, is providing real scenarios. Mm -hmm. uh, there are generals who are then also picked up and said, uh, okay, you need to uh, be the Syrians. You're going to maneuver against the IDF mm -hmm. and they're going based on intelligence and on the vast knowledge. In Israel, the military is well aware of all of the tactics and strategies of Hezbollah, of uh, Iran, yes. of mm -hmm. Syria, of, of all the, the different uh, uh, hostile actors in the region. And uh, w the military prepares concretely 
in order to contend with those, obviously. So basically we have Israeli troops acting as Hezbollah troops in order to make this uh, maneuver and exercise really, you know, real. There are multiple uh, scenarios being played out in order to simulate real-time actions. Now, what is the difference between such a maneuver, which also has different exercises that we can't go into, uh, underneath that umbrella um, taking place, also uh, maneuvers that are uh, multilateral ra rather than just local. Uh, the, the step from an exercise to an, an actual operation is just one decision, mm -hmm. okay? One decision that just goes down the line. So uh, as we noted on TV7 Israel News, when Hezbollah, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, Hamas um, raised their level of alert, they are aware that Israel at this stage is at full preparedness for an all-out war. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Israel is prepared for an all-out war right now. All of the components are Already. placed specifically for that. So, uh, you know, when, when we look at, um, we take Syria for instance, okay, you will have those um, terror elements, whether they are uh, RGC instructors or, or uh, advisors, they call them, uh, or Hezbollah and all those different operatives, the moment such a maneuver takes place, um, are m much more cautious in everything that they do. They even pull back to a certain degree to avoid friction that could trigger suddenly an operation because when we're talking about uh, Israel's QME, qualitative military edge, mm -hmm it far exceeds its neighbors. Yes. It far exceeds most um, countries in the region. Of course, it also exceeds Iran. Um, there are, of course, Iranian components that are very capable. But when we're talking about um, uh, the general capacity of Iran to wage war, Iran never won a war uh, in the last, I don't know how long. Um, so. Uh, while we do give them a lot of, of respect in Israel for their abilities, um, it is not because they're great, it's because we always respect our enemies to make sure that they are, that we are well prepared yes. for any surprise. And so many scenarios have been drilled mm -hmm. over the years. So much knowledge has been accumulated. Uh, the investments into the intelligence uh, world um, in, in specific sectors has brought Israel to a point where it's become a contributing factor to regional stability, from sharing knowledge from point? an intelligence point. Uh, several uh, years back, even though it's been known for quite some time in the public sphere, um, there is intelligence cooperation which deputy, the former deputy chief of staff of uh, the IDF, um, Yael Golan, who is now a member of, mm -hmm. of parliament or Knesset, he um, confirmed that, yes, there is intelligence cooperation with Egypt, with Jordan. Jordan, of course, if we look at Jordan, because Israel is just a small strip of land. Mm -hmm. So when you look at Jordan, uh, there is the, the term strategic depth of field. The necessity to thwart an offensive attack, you need to have territory. Israel yes. is very small compared to other countries. Yes, I know, I know what you world. mean in terms of a, um, tank warfare. 
okay, you need land, you need mm-hmm. to spread out, you need to be able to have a long line with your tanks so they can, you know, shoot without blocking each other. As you know, um, during multiple campaigns, even during the, the campaign of uh, Yom Kippur mm-hmm. war, okay, which was a devastating war, uh, while the, the Syrians uh, had about, there was the equation of one Israeli tank versus between seven to ten Syrian tanks, the the distance was the the winning factor for Israel. Mm -hmm. So the distance at the time in 73 was the fact that the the Syrians had a range of about one one kilometer 200 and uh, Israel had a range of uh, the um, about three kilometers, something like that. This obviously changed the equation entirely. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were sitting ducks, the Syrians, yes. during the day. During the night, the Syrians received from Russia, from the Soviets at the time, uh, they received optical, uh, optical uh, capacities that Israel did not have at the time, um, which brought about many losses during the night fights. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there the are always equations, uh, you know, the... Uh, intelligence director at the, the intelligence branches of each military, mm-hmm. not only of, of Israel, always looks, okay, what does my enemy have that challenges my capacity? Yes. Mm-hmm. And as such, you always look at those things. Now, going back to Cherries of Fire, Israel is concretely preparing for an all-out war with the Islamic Republic of Iran as the head of, of uh, the, the pyramid, if you will. Mm-hmm. And its regional proxies are significant components within that. Um, of course, uh, Israeli Defense Minister Benny Gantz has alluded to roughly 430,000 rockets uh, in Syria and Lebanon being directed towards Israel. Um, when you mean an all-out war with Iran, you mean through uh, the Lebanese front? Through the Syrian front and through the, about, the Gaza front, is uh, it like all these areas combined? So, uh, it is all the areas combined and beyond that. Mm-hmm. I don't think that there's going to be one country in this region um, spared from from such an engagement. Uh, maybe Jordan would somehow be able to maneuver in between Qatar. Mm-hmm. Um, specific countries that Iran has strategic interests with. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we are looking at the different challenges at hand, you know, when, when uh, just last week there was uh, the um, Senate's Arms Committee uh, hearing uh, during which there was an intelligence briefing about the world threats to U.S. national security, mm-hmm. um, the uh, director of the National Intelligence, uh, Avril Haines, and, and director also of the Defense Intelligence Agency, um, Lieutenant General Scott Barrier, they were there and, and provided quite a lot of insight, even though most of what they said is quite general. Narrow. And uh, it is also to the public, so there are no semantics in there. And uh, uh, much of, of the uh, points that are discussed in the closed session are uh, quite more revealing to the challenges at hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, nonetheless, when we really look at, at what they speak in the open session, they speak about the main challenges to the United States. 
And then you, obviously you have China, the main competitor of the United States. Then you have Russia. Mm -hmm. But within this um, equation, the third one that in most of the sentences, in their opening remarks and during their discussions, they put Iran together with Russia and China in the same boat. Really? Like it's a, it's a coalition type thing that endangers the U.S. Uh, national interests? It is an axis Mm -hmm. uh, it's not really a coalition because compared to the West, where it is partners and allies, quote-unquote, yes. in the East, when we're talking about Russia, China, and um, Iran, we're talking about clients and um, sponsors, sponsors yes. basically, or patrons. Mm -hmm. you know? So uh, it's a different uh, outlook. Yes. And as such, uh, partners and allies are obviously more efficient, more capable, um, we look at the, the variables that have to do with this. Um, China is basically utilizing its, its tremendous wealth mm -hmm. in order to uh, procure influence. And as such, when it uh, reaches an agreement with the Iranians, a 25-year deal of $400 million, billion dollars, excuse yes. me, uh, they basically bought Iran. I see. Okay, so they bought much of the infrastructure. The Iranians are in debt. Um, without this JCPOA, they're completely a Chinese client. With the JCPOA, they're still a Chinese client. Uh, they're also a Russian client because mm -hmm. the Russians are the ones who build their nuclear uh, facilities, their reactors on a, a civilian level. Mm -hmm. It's complicated, mm -hmm. but uh, there is much in there, and, and yeah. uh, we need to carefully identify how everything is maneuvering. But if we really look at, at the situation, the strip of land here, even though everything is red, the strip of land here is the Gaza Strip. Mm -hmm. Now, Israel obviously does not is not overly concerned, even though uh, the rocket fire last year on... on uh, May the 8th, uh, there was, of course, the 11-day conflict mm -hmm. uh, of uh, um, Operation Guardian of the Walls. Uh, and, you know, it, it looked, you know, quite uh, uh, stunning to see, of course, all those thousands of rockets. There were roughly 3,600 uh, or 3,460 rockets altogether or 4,000, excuse me, 360 <laughs> rockets altogether, which is a substantive number. Yeah, but out, out of all these numbers, not many landed in populated areas. We had the Iron Dome defense right, system. Right. So it's very, you know, catching the eye and very good for TV and making big news. But in practical, it wasn't an existential threat to Israel, yeah. like what we see in Iran. And what we see, you know, in also Israel. Iran is not an existential threat. Well, as long as they don't have uh, the nuclear ability. Also, if they have nuclear abilities, I don't think it can be constituted as an uh, as an existential threat. Mm -hmm. um, and and people need to understand this. Uh, this is not uh, a situation where the Iranians have the upper hand and can drive Israel out of Israel. Um, at this current point in time. Uh, the Iranian hardware, the, their military hardware, is six or seven generations older. Um, and I'm giving them some leeway, mm -hmm. but uh, six or seven generations older than what Israel has from every perspective. 
Okay, when we're talking about their drone capabilities, it is a rising capability. However, drone capacity at an all-time war is a different story than when we're talking about day-to-day um, activities and defense. day-to-day activities and, and things like that. Especially mm-hmm. when you have uh, surface-to-air components yes. that can intercept those systems. Um, Israel is continuously, you know, uh, Israel is one of the first ones to develop the drone capabilities in the highest levels, of course, the United States and others as well. But here, concretely, um, when you create a weapon, you always also create an antidote. Yes, it's always a battle of defensive capabilities uh, compared to offensive capabilities. And we we are investing, Israel is investing a lot in uh, in their aero missiles that are anti-missiles, defense systems and others that will help us you know, if Iran decides to launch missiles towards us. Israel has much more than the Iranians think, mm-hmm. than the, their enemies all around think, okay? And, and this is something that um, is, of course, from a material perspective, uh, the capacity and, and the tools at its disposals are, are on a kinetic level. I'm not talking about, you know, rumors about nuclear weapons and so on and so forth. Um, Whoever claims Israel has nuclear weapons, uh, you know, I assume, I do not know. Yes, because it's still you know, classified. So it's classified. And, and whoever tells you that they know because uh, they haven't been to Dimona they, or to yes. the other installations, uh, they don't know what's in there, and they're not going in there anytime soon. Anytime soon, so, yeah. definitely. You know. And, you know, okay, talking about Iran and talking about um, the Syrian front, of, uh, of Iran that we believe that they will use proxies to maybe launch attacks against Israel from there. We, we always had um, a partner or strategic um, agreement with, with the Russians in Syria. But uh, lately we reported that uh, Syrian uh, Russian forces are withdrawing from Syria. What does that mean for Israel? Somebody will fill the, the vacuum and where are these forces going? So uh, last week, obviously, there was the report on TV7 Israel mm-hmm. News with regard to the withdrawal of, of forces from Russia, uh, Russian forces from Syria. Syria. Again, uh, I was looking at this with a little bit of, of uh, uh, surprise. Uh, this was a report published by uh, the Moscow Times mm-hmm. that even though it claims to be independent, it's far from that. Um, it's uh, based in London, right? No, it's based in the Netherlands, actually. Okay. Uh, it's uh, based in the Netherlands, headquartered there. Um, but uh, when I spoke with people in Moscow after this report mm-hmm. to, to understand what's going on and, and my different sources that deal with uh, the uh, Russian component within mm-hmm. the geostrategic uh, composition, um, they alluded to the fact that they have government um, links and, and they are in the know when it comes to uh, specific messages that Moscow wants to relay out of there. Um, but, you know, since uh, the beginning of, of April, when uh, the former commander, the General Alexander, who was the former the commander of uh, forces in Syria, uh, some people call him in, in the United States, and um, in Turkey they call him the, but- uh, the butcher of Syria, Um, because of specific uh, tactics that were very successful in warfare 
um, but were not necessarily in line with the Geneva Convention. Mm -hmm. um, he was appointed the commander of Russian forces in uh, Ukraine, mm -hmm. the uh, offensive in Ukraine. And uh, he was uh, quite keen on seeing some of his veteran troops who brought him so much glory from the Syria front, um, at least glory from Moscow's perspective, uh, he wanted to divert them to uh, Syria. I, I communicated, as I said, with people in Moscow and elsewhere. Did they bring um, troops, uh, you know, to replace them in so Syria? So it, it actually it started when he already entered, also a little bit before that, because, you know, once uh, you're informed that you're going to take a commanding post in a specific uh, area of operation, you're usually already utilizing some of the things if you have maneuver, um, place to maneuver uh, from a political perspective, you're then making already decisions um, behind the scenes in order to prepare the, the ground for when you enter. Uh, one of those things was he needed experienced troops. Yes. So he, he withdrew as an initial step Russian aircraft fighters, uh, fighter pilots from the Syria arena into mm. um, the Ukrainian front. But it's, it's not only Syria, it's also Armenia, it's also other places. From where the Middle East, where they had some combat Not only the uh, Middle East, experience. all over the world, um, where Russia sees no immediate threat. It's reducing its forces in order to focus on uh, the Russia front. Uh, Russian military methodology is, is very... Um, transparent uh, to a certain degree, uh, even though there are many components, a lot of room to maneuver within that methodology, um, they are quite capable uh, of uh, making a strategic stop, trying to reevaluate, and this is very yes. common for the Russians, trying to reevaluate their, their uh, position and then engaging once more from a more um, elevated position, if you will. Well, this is, this is uh, I think, typical for countries that are not democratic, because they don't have the, the pressure from the, from the voting base on right. ending well, a conflict. You know, it, it was quite surprising, but um, the latest polls, and, and this is not Russian government um, paid polls. Independent polls. Independent yes. polls okay. by opposition groups even, uh, and by um, intelligence uh, agencies that um, have uh, asked to create those polls. Uh, Putin has a lot of support in in Russia. Uh, the the most um, supported poll, if you will, the the highest level, and I'm examining it right now uh, thoroughly, speaks of between 77 to 79 percent uh, support, support of the Russian public, which is higher. Really? than democratic societies to their governments. Definitely, by a lot. Substantively. Yes. Uh, the people in Russia today have support uh, for their leader and, and more so. Um, you know, there is a tactical understanding or a strategic understanding, actually, um, in the West and, and generally when, mm -hmm. when you engage in, in such circumstances um, to try and differentiate between Russia yes. and Putin and their leader in order to um, basically create a villain image. Yes, uh, that's what we This did. is not the perspective from 
uh, that, I'm but inside, yeah. Definitely. So uh, we need to take everything with a grain of salt. I wish we could have more time to speak about this topic, this show, but we don't have it. So we should revisit this on a, another Editor's Note program. Thank you, Jonathan, for being with us. It's a blessing to be here. And thank you to our viewers. And if you'd like to support us, what we do here at TV7 Israel, please go to our website at www.tv7israelnews.com and make a donation to our cause here in Israel. And until next time, we'll see you at another episode of Editor's Note. Thank you for joining us in another TV7 Israel podcast. For more content, visit our website at tv7israelnews.com or follow us on social media.